got to start getting used to this. I'm podcasting after another Wizards win over a legitimately good team. Uh, the Wizards beat the Bucks tonight at home, 113-106. to They've now been on this stretch. That's a really difficult five-game stretch. They're four games into it. They won in Oklahoma City. They lost in Philadelphia. Then they beat Philadelphia by 17. And now they've beaten the Bucks by seven, and asked a 13-letter asterisk on this game. Giannis didn't play, uh, but they played well and beat a really, really good team. I'm Fred Capps. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic. I'm the host of Wizards After Dark. I'm here with Matt Velasquez, who covers the Bucks for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Yeah, hey, Fred. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, you've been, you were on my previous podcast. You were on Thunder After Dark, and now we're doing this one. Uh, let's jump right into it. Let's do it. Uh, Wizards, Wizards played well. So I want to get your take on this. Giannis, of any really good team, the Bucks have, like, undebatably the largest drop-off from their best player to their second best player. And that's best displayed by us discussing, like, who's their second all-star going to be earlier tonight. Uh, the numbers say they're still really good, though, when Giannis is off the floor. Like, I think this is, even though Giannis didn't play, I think this is a legitimately good win for the Wizards. Yeah, I think that the biggest, one of the biggest differences with the Bucks this year is that in the past they were, like, the equivalent of, like, a 12-1 team when Giannis didn't play. And that that's not exactly right, but they were, like, the equivalent of a team in the teens, win-wise, without Giannis. And then with him, they were obviously much better. They'd end up somewhere in the 40s. Uh, But this year, they have just depth up and down the roster. Um, People in Milwaukee like to talk about and debate, you know, the the value of, like, you know, Chris Middleton particularly as a number two. You know, how high can you go with Giannis and Middleton as your your one-two? You know, but there's also the debate to be had about a review of one and then a bunch of threes. You know, like maybe that can maybe that can work. I mean, because you know, some nights it'll be Middleton. Tonight he started slow but got going. Ended up at 25 points pretty quietly. Um, but then some nights it's Eric Bledsoe. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon was huge the other night in Houston. Uh, Brooke Lopez is knocking down 30 footers and providing incredible rim protection. Um, and so just having just a bunch of really quality guys along with the bench that not tonight but in many games has been a positive for them. Um, Having all that together, I think that's you know been a, a great formula. I mean, 29 wins at the halfway point of the season for the Bucks—that's that's pretty good. But without him, you know, they just didn't have that like oomph, like that aggressive aggressiveness, that fire for enough of the game. They got off into that that you know, 40 to 26 hole in the first quarter and just were fighting uphill, and that's a hard formula. Chris Middleton had my favorite moment of the night. I think I know and I like is. I like Chris Middleton as a player a lot. He's very very good. He plays both sides of the ball. He's I think he's better off the dribble than I, his reputation says. He's really good. I've liked this game for a very long time. I think I I would put him on the All Star team. That being said, karmic moment. Yes. Chris Middleton intentionally throws up like a seventy five footer after the buzzer, like every NBA player does. And it goes in, and I love that when that happens so much. I hate when guys hold for after the buzzer. You know why I hate it? Because, not because of any sort of, like, team first thing. It just, like, it doesn't make a difference. Like, it's going to shave, like, point. By the end of the year, Chris Middleton shoots a lot. It's going to shave a fraction of a percentage point if he misses it off of his like, off of his shooting percentage. It's going to make no difference. Like, 
If he shoots 46% from the field at the end of the year or 38% from three at the end of the year, he will still shoot 46% from the field and 38% from three. It's going to make no difference, that shot. Right, and, and if and if he does it enough, say he does it 15 times in the course of the season and makes none of them, then at the very least, people would recognize, hey, this is the one guy who's not afraid yeah. to throw up these yeah. teams, and let's just discount those. Because you can go on any good basketball analytics site and they will, like, take those heaves, and they will categorize them as heaves. Mm-hmm. So you know that they're there. Like, it's not going to affect his his ability to earn money. Like, this summer, he's going to be a free agent. He has, like, a $13 million option. Everyone expects him to turn it down because he's worth a lot more than that. So like, it's not going to hurt him. Like, maybe teams like him more. I, and that's just not a Middleton thing. It's an everybody thing. Everyone in the league does it. It happens all the time. Um just, just put them up. Give yourself a chance to score points. The Bucks are down ten at halftime. That, that three could have helped a lot. It's great. The NBA. I think forget who said this, and I've believed it for a while. But somebody said this recently. I've been Zach Lowe on a podcast. Said the NBA should just not count like end of quarter heaves as shots. Yeah, I mean, probably from a certain distance. Like if it's from beyond half court, don't count it. If you're past half court. Maybe count it because, like, you know, Brooke Lopez and Steph Curry and all these other people are, you know, Damian Lillard, they can basically make them yeah. once they pass half court. If it goes in, it counts yeah. to the stats. And if it doesn't go in, like, same thing as a foul. Sure. I mean, it, it's almost like the equivalent of, like, an NFL team, like, taking a knee at, like, the 50-yard line when they could have thrown up a Hail Mary. Like, that's kind of the equivalent. I get just, just spitball in here. But it feels because, like the because the quarterback is worried about his completion yeah. percentage. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, eh, you know what? Like, we don't need to try this. Like, it's it could get hurt. All these bad things could happen. So, like, let's just not do it. Love it. I was so happy when that went in. It was so clearly after the buzzer. It was it was great. And it was, was a great shot. It was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a great a shot. very fun shot. It's a great shot, but not as fun as it could have been if it actually counted. Yeah. Then it's more fun. Uh, all right, enough of me being a curmudgeon. Uh, let's talk about the good stuff. The Wizards, all right. Bradley Beal was awesome tonight. He had 32-5-7. He was averaging 28-5-5 in the seven games since John Wall got hurt coming into tonight. Another great game. But I want to start with Sadoransky. First career triple-double. The Wizards doused him with water bottles in the locker room after the game. One of the more popular guys in the locker room, I would say. Uh, they were genuinely very happy to see him do it. Bradley Beal, like, proudly admitted that he was trying to stat pad on Sadoransky's behalf. <laughs> Even amidst what was, like, still not necessarily a close game, but a game the Wizards definitely didn't have in hand, Bradley Beal openly admitted he was like, we're going to run a play to try to get a 10th assist for him. And he really wanted to get that, and they did. Beal threw down an alley-oop for Sadoransky's 10th assist. He had 18 points, 12 rebounds. 10 assists, set up a lot of the Wizards' 18 three-pointers, which tied a franchise record, uh, which they set last year. They've set, this is the fifth time they've had 18 now. Wow. Uh, but they, I should say they most recently did last year. Sato, man, he was really good. The Bucks, for all the credit that Gian- get, Giannis gets, and deserved credit that Giannis gets, they have a really good team defense, which is in part because Giannis is a great defender. But they have really good defensive guards. Like Malcolm Brogdon is a really good guard and was guarding Bradley Beal a lot of the night and Eric Bledsoe gambles and gets kind of out of his mind sometimes going to passing lanes and that kind of stuff but he's he's feisty and they've they've got Middleton is a is a is a good defender on the wing like they've they've got feisty guys on the wing and and Sato did a really nice job I thought 
speeding up the game in the first half. Like, it, the game slowed down in the second half, which tends to happen. But Sato normally plays his best working out of the half court, that kind of stuff. Like, when he plays, even when they're playing well, he slows the game, and he's a half-court point guard. Tonight, they clearly had an initiative, like, we're getting rebounds and going. And so Sato got a bunch of rebounds, and he was just taken off. And Otto Porter was getting rebounds and finding him, and they were just trying to take off as much as they could early in the game, and he was so effective early. I think he had 9-5-5 and and in the first quarter or something like that. So just, like, right off the bat, he's making a huge difference. And I thought a lot of it was just because of the way they were able to get out in transition, and they could find shooters, and... Later, they just operated out of the second half, out of the half court, and they just got super hot from three, and it worked. But I thought Sato setting the the tone for the pace early in the game was just so important for them. Yeah, I mean, as triple doubles go, this was kind of a quiet one. I feel like if you're watching the game, you're like, oh, like it's the fourth quarter, and he's on the road of a triple double. I wasn't really because you just your eyes just drawn to all the threes, that, like the second half just, and he wasn't scoring a lot in the second half. So, like, you kind of forget. But in the first half, especially that first quarter, as you mentioned, like, he was very noticeable. Like, he was up and down, putting in floaters, finding guys, uh, moving the pace. And then the Bucks, you know, they admitted after the game, like, they were, like, stuck in mud. Like, you know, not just not just offensively, which was a mess for a lot of the night, uh, but defensively in that first quarter, I mean, there was a noticeable difference in just the the aggressiveness and the, and the team speed and the you know the Bucks aren't you wouldn't label them as a team that's generally slow. They like to push push the pace. They like to play fast. Um, but tonight, just for whatever reason, they they weren't they weren't in that flow. And Sato was like, you know what? If you guys aren't going to move, I'm going right by it. I'm just going to push the pace and take care of and take care of that. And so um, definitely an impressive night for him. Um, even if it was a little under the radar for parts of it. Yeah, their feet were slow in the half court, too. Like, so many times. They didn't do a good job defending the corners. No, not at all. So many times. Like, so many Ariza corner threes. Man, Ariza hit six threes, which is like, I can I can promise you. I actually didn't talk to him after the game, but I can promise you because I've spoken to him after the last few games, and, like, I guarantee you his reaction after this game was about freaking time. Yeah, like, you do. Yeah, he was due. Well, Bradley Beal had a great quote after the other game, after the other day when I asked him, because Beal hasn't really shot, he's had a great year, but he hasn't shot the ball from three up to his career percentage, and he hit six threes the other day, and I asked him if he felt like a hot streak was inevitable, considering he shot the ball better every other year, and if one was coming, and he said, a wise man once told me, you're either hot or you're due. those Those are good vibes. Definitely good vibes. Those are good vibes. And and Trevor Ariza was so due, like shooting 29% from three or whatever he was, and he's too good for that, and he was getting good looks. Tonight it was just like corner three after corner three after corner three, just all of them. And that's rare for the Bucks that, you know, they, they do allow more three-pointers three made and more three-point attempts than anyone in the league. You know, so if you're going to be due, you're going to get plenty of opportunities. You're going to get lots of volume against the Bucks. But normally they've done a good job of protecting the corners and forcing teams into above-the-break threes and just kind of living with that, you know. And, and they've had trouble with picking pops at a bunch of different points this season, uh, notably against Boston. Uh, you know, way back in November, there was a game where Horford just killed them and, and Morris killed them. Um, but when they have especially Brooke Lopez on the court and they don't switch, and what they do is they usually just drop their center and protect the paint at all costs. And so they're the best team in terms of field goal percentage against on two-pointers. So they really lock down inside the arc. 
but they're like, hey, like you know, if you want to bomb away, go for it. Um, and today, you know, Jeff Green, you know, even Chris Milton was like, yeah, we knew he was a good shooter, but you know, he got hot on us. You know, and, and that's coming from the you know, obviously if you if you let guys have that volume, they're going to you know make the most of it. And you know, Mike Budenholzer was was mentioning that you know the Wizards lineup where they had Green at the five and Porter at the four. You know, you're you're really putting some high level three point shooters out there all together, and then if Beal's on the court with them, you know, a lot of the focus goes to Beal, and then suddenly guys are helping, you know, coming out of the corners and just giving up wide open looks. And Reza was a beneficiary of a lot of those, you know, and a lot of them in the third quarter too. I think he had um, two in the third quarter, or Porter had two in the third quarter, and those three, those third quarter threes. I think the Wizards were seven of thirteen in that quarter alone. Um, that was huge because that's when the Bucks made their move. I mean, they, they got up to 63-63. They tied it at 66-66. And then the threes just kept coming, and the Bucks couldn't keep up pace. Yeah, and I've, I've talked about it a lot in this podcast. I'm a fan of the Jeff Green at the five lineups. Like, they've, they have helped the Wizards this year. And I think now one thing we haven't seen, because Otto Porter was hurt when they got Ariza and Porter's been coming off the bench, and they haven't had a ton of time playing together so far. Porter was on a minutes restriction, and now he, Porter's been playing very well, and they're kind of getting in a rhythm together. And I am really curious to see that lineup that Scott went to tonight that you just mentioned with Sadoransky, Beal, Porter, Ariza, Jeff Green. Jeff Green's 37% from three this year. Historically, he's not a good three-point shooter. Uh, his disparity between corner threes and above the break threes are ridiculous. He's like high 40s on corner threes and like 30 from above the break. But you can have two really good corner three shooters, like really good corner three shooters. Jeff Green, even in his career, Jeff Green's like 40% from corner three. Trevor Ariza, who's 40-something percent from corner three, also not a great above the break guy. And Otto Porter is like one of the best above the break three-point shooters in the league. Otto Porter is not a corner three guy. He's one of the best long three-point shooters in the league. I wrote a whole article earlier this year on how they have to start doing with him what the Bucks do with Brooke Lopez, where, like, he should be spacing four feet beyond the three-point line. Put him at the hash mark. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's what Brooke does. I mean, he just, he just basically, you know, sets up camp at a hash mark and just waits until people collapse in. And once he catches it, he doesn't even think. He just shoots. Right. And it works. It doesn't just spread the defense farther. It can get you more open because guys, when they collapse in on play, they still have to collapse in, like to the same spot, and then all of a sudden, like you're four feet away more, and like that being that open can make the difference in the distance of the shot if you're a ridiculously good three point shooter like Otto Porter is, and like he has range, and I wonder if they're going to do that, but like Beal is also a very good above the break three point shooter, and if you've got Sato with the ball, who's a really really quick decision maker. And you've got those four guys around him. You can have two in the corner and two above the break. You can have Jeff Green rolling because he's not a bad roll guy. And you can have Ariza in the corner. There are a bunch of different places you can put those guys. And on the other end, you can switch everything because Ariza can guard a bunch of positions. Porter can guard a bunch of positions. Beal is on a really nice defensive stretch right now. And I think is a much better fourth quarter defender than he gets credit for. Sadoransky guards a bunch of positions. I mean, that's like, there's versatility in there. That's a nice modern day lineup the rebounding is going to stink the rebounding pretty much stinks no matter who they have out there they're last in the league in defensive rebound rate but you might be able to make up with it with quality enough defensive communication 
turnovers because you can probably get into passing lanes a lot with that lineup and they're pretty high up right now in deflections and all those kind of passing lane and ball hawking stats and offense like you might be able to have like a legitimately really really good offense with that lineup tonight they're not going to hit threes at the rate they did tonight they made 55 percent of their threes they were 18 for 33 but like that was an element of just good spacing and properly run offense yeah i mean Obviously, this is the first time the Bucs and Wizards have played. I've seen the Wizards on TV a couple times. But just seeing them tonight, you just look at the talent they have, you look at the shooters they have, and you think, why isn't this team better? And I'm sure you've covered that plenty, and people in this area have definitely dealt with that a lot and probably have asked that question because they have they have a team that makes sense. You just put out that lineup that you just mentioned. It's like I can see how on paper that would work, how you can defend a lot of different teams that way. You're not going to, you know, Jeff Green obviously is going to give up some size to some bigger centers. But, like, you can make up for that with his athleticism and his shooting and just the, the guys you can spread out around the court. And, uh, you know, it, it just seems like this is a team that can work. And, it's just a function, and recently they have. It's just a function of can they continue doing it um, through the rest of the season. Yeah, it's amazing. I wrote a piece for this morning. Are the Wizards better without John Wall? And coming into this game, they were – Six and a half points per 100 possessions better when John Wall was not on the floor, and almost 12 points per 100 possessions better without John Wall over the last two months. 12 points is like a number. That's massive. Yeah, that, that's huge. Absolutely ginormous. Like, that's the difference between the Bucks and the Wizards. And that rating. Yeah. Like, that's, that's the difference between, like, who's second net rating right now? Boston? Boston second in net rating. That's the difference between like. Yeah. And I think it might be Boston. Yeah, like that's that's the least in the East. Yeah, that's the difference between like Boston and I don't know who's like and like Orlando. Like that is an absolutely ginormous difference. It's absolutely huge, and and this number continues to go up. They're playing well. Uh, most of that is on the defensive side, just because I think Walls. Um, I don't know if it's. If it's unwillingness to move or inability to move because of the injury, but whatever that was really hurt them defensively with the the bad switching and hitting screens and not moving and that kind of stuff. They had to over-rotate, hurt communication. There was just kind of all this franticness, which turned into discombobulation, and it just didn't work. And they look better on defense now. They're not a great defense. They're not going to be a great defense, but they're respectable. Like, they're middle of the pack since Wall went down. And I think that's probably about – I think it makes sense that they would be a middle of the pack defense. I think it makes sense that it would be about a middle of the pack offense. They have offensive lineups that should work. Beal – I mean, if Beal plays like this, they, they they could get the eighth seed. If Beal plays like this, I mean, right now he's playing like – he's playing like one of the six best players in the Eastern Conference. I mean, if he's playing like this, I mean, right now, the way that he's playing is, it's tremendous. I mean, how many Eastern Conference players are better than, if he's going to average 28, 5, and 5 the rest of the year, Yeah, I mean, he's one of the five, six, seven best players in the conference. Yeah, I think so. This is, this is the Bradley Beal who everyone in Milwaukee believes plays every night. Because, uh, the, you know, of course, the talk in Milwaukee is, okay, Middleton's going to, going to, you know, ask, demand a high dollar amount this summer. And they're like, oh, well, this guy wants to get paid so much. So, like, he's not Bradley Beal. Like, he can't do what Bradley Beal does. Like, we should just trade for Bradley Beal. Like, it's that easy. 
you know, and uh, every yeah. fan base is like that. every fan exactly. And so you know, it's like, well, Middleton, like, yes, he had like the worst slump of his career, but he still was shooting like thirty eight percent from three. Like, you know, Beal was he thirty five percent now? Maybe after maybe a little bit a shade under thirty five percent. Historically better. Um, you know, he, he does different things. You know, they're they're two high level players. You, you talked about Middleton as potentially being an All Star this year. I think so as well. Beal should definitely be an All Star this year. I don't think that's really up for that much of a debate. Um, yeah, I think it was up for debate not until so. ten games ago. Yes, and now it's like no, dude's a, dude on the season. He's averaging almost twenty five now. And like, and how many really good guards are there in the Eastern Conference? You're not putting in like Spencer Dinwiddie over him just because no. the Nets are two and a half games better. No, like, and he just has so much more name recognition, and like, coaches are going to vote for him. And that's who's going to be picking the reserves. I don't think he'll be a starter. Um, no, no, he shouldn't be a starter. No, but no. yeah, he'll be a reserve, and, the, and coaches will be like, hey, when we play the Wizards, this guy is is really tough. He's a game plan for him. He's been picking up a lot recently. Um, and, and, you know, that's kind of just how it goes. Um, but, you know, every, everybody in Milwaukee is, like, comparing Middleton to Beal, and there's whole Twitter accounts like, oh, we need to trade, you know, Middleton for Beal, and that maybe was more reasonable when the Wizards were struggling a little bit more than they are now, but I never thought it was reasonable because I think Beal's the best player in the Wizards, and he's on, like, a pretty good contract. Every fan base thinks that the other 29 teams are there to get you their good players. I don't understand why the Celtics don't just trade for Anthony Davis. Yeah, well, I mean, why not? Sure. Why not? Just do it. Just yeah. trade for him. I don't understand why the Cavaliers just don't trade back for LeBron. They just get him back. Just trade for him. Yeah, LA was just holding him for a little bit. You know, they're they're going to give him back. You know, but it's, you know, of course... You know, I, I have to chide the fan base, the Bucks fan base. And I think if I told all of them at the start of the season that at the midway point, 41 games in, that the Bucks would be 29-12 and 12 and Giannis would be an MVP front runner, and Middleton, Bledsoe, Brogdon, Lopez would be a, a really strong five in terms of net rating in the starting lineup. And they'd all be, like, dancing in the streets like for a team that hasn't gotten out of the first round of the playoffs since 2001. Um, so, I mean, you know, this, this is all kind of, like, nitpicking, I expect. Um, but also, like, I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm wrong, maybe you have a different opinion, but Middleton's going to get a max or near a max this summer. You think he's getting that? Well, from someone. I mean, someone will get a max or near a max. I mean, $30 million? Like, I, I, I don't think he's getting that much. Okay, well, then every Bucks fan will be thrilled because I think he, he could have that market if, if some team with max money – Maybe like a, like a Nets type team or a Kings type team or a Suns type team, somebody like that who has max money and doesn't get any other of the big free agents. He'll be out there and they're like, well, we got to give our money to somebody. Who do you think gets more, him or Tobias? Ooh, that's a good question. I uh, Tobias is younger, so so there is that. Milton's what twenty eight? He's twenty seven uh, currently. Um, you know, and he he's. Kind of done it at a little bit of a higher level. I mean, it really depends mostly on on the playoffs. I think last year you look at what he did against the Celtics in the first round, and, and he was in, incredible. He shot like sixty percent for a whole seven game series. Uh, you know, people say, "Oh, well, you know, they still didn't win that series." It's like, well, yeah, because they didn't have a good coach and had no idea what they were doing, and didn't have like a modern offense or a good defense for that matter. Like, there are a lot more things than just like, "Oh, Chris Middleton was great, we still can't win, so let's just get rid of him." Like, that's not how this works. 
Um, you know, if, if he can play really well in the playoffs again, play really well down the stretch, you know, that can boost his value. Uh, same with Tobias. But I think those guys could be in the same ballpark. They, they're probably in the same tier of free agents where no team is like, okay, we're going to go out this summer. We're going to get, like, Tobias Harris. We're going to get Chris Middleton. Like, no, that's not your first guy. Like, you, you would aim higher than that usually. Um, but I think I think that in that next tier of teams that, you know, say, you know, Durant is taken care of, Clay decides to stay, and, you know, Kemba decides to stay. All these guys, you know, Kyrie stays in Boston or something like that. If all these guys start staying where they are, you know, I think, you know, you have to figure out, you know, okay, who's next? And those guys would probably be next unless the Bucks are going to back up the, the Brinks truck and just say, Chris, you're a big part of what we're doing. Let's keep you. That's, those are the, the signals that they've been trying to send all season. Um you know, as uh, him being, you know, they try and put him out there as like, oh, Giannis is at a big event. Chris is going to be there too. It's like, well, you know, they, they opened their, their new arena and the president of the team was like, oh, we're here and we have the best player on the planet, Giannis. And then he had to introduce Chris. He's like, uh, and we have the player who we think is the second best player. <laughs> like, it was kind of just like he had to, you know, figure out what to say, you know, because that, that's a hard situation to be in. Um, you know, but I think if the Bucks back up the brink to start, he could, you know, be back with them immediately. Otherwise, you know, there could be some bidding going on after that first round in free agents. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else to touch on before we uh, finish up? No, I uh, I don't think so. I'll be seeing a bunch of you over the next month. I think the, yeah. the Bucks play the Wizards three, three times, times before yeah. the All Star break. So that's yeah. that's fun. Yeah. Um, we'll have to I'll have to force you on here again. I, I'm, not like it. Kevin Young. I'm not against it. Uh, plug, Matt does great work. So, uh, and you're covering, I don't know, they could win the East. Like you're covering a premier team and a very fun team. So I'm sure how are you, I'm sure like you're getting way more interest this year than never before. So, uh, plug your stuff for my listeners so I can check it out. Yeah. You can find my work. Uh, if you are in Milwaukee, you can get the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel delivered to you. That's fun. Uh, you can also find it all at jsonline.com. I'm also on Twitter at Matt underscore Velasquez. Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I freelanced to them for one day once. The, the, the draft. 14 draft, I think it was. Yeah, the draft. Charles Gardner called me up last second when I was freelancing. We need to cover the draft. I was like, okay, great. Yeah, wasn't that the uh, – wasn't there a UW guy? Uh, Eric Decker. Eric Decker. Other Decker. I literally cover him, and I just called him Eric Decker. Yeah, Sam, Sam Decker. Decker. There you go. So we, yeah. we needed to make sure we had somebody there for Sam Decker, and and then the Bucks took um, – who was it that night, 2014? Oh, that was Jabari Parker. Yeah, yeah. So I think we had that part. Yeah, because that, that was after the Bucks went. Maybe it was twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen makes more sense. Yeah. So in twenty fifteen would have been uh, Rashad Vaughn. Rashad Vaughn, that was it. Yep. Because that was when uh, they were getting all the Excel Sports guys. Yes. Yeah. Hey, Jeff Schwartz is your agent. Come on down to Milwaukee. Get Rashad Vaughn and signing Jason Kidd and training for Michael Carter Williams. No, they got the whole band together. Oh, they, it was all Jeff Schwartz. And it worked out so well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That is going to do it. Subscribe to Wizards After Dark on iTunes. Give us five stars. Give us all five stars. That would be awesome. Uh, leave a review. That always really helps a lot. They play on Sunday. It's a 1 o'clock game. I will podcast after that game. Uh I'm not sure if I'm going to have a guest or not because I'm leaving for London 
after that, the Wizards play in London on Thursday. They play against the Knicks in London. I'm going to be leaving for London, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm starting my transportation that evening. So I got to uh, get on that. So I, I got to figure out what the deal is for the podcast. But there will be a podcast in some form, whether I have a guest or whether I record it while I'm in commute or whatever. Uh, I got to figure that out in the moment. But there will be a podcast on Sunday after the Toronto game. I'll talk to you guys then.